We're going through the book of James because, you know, as um, Pastor Steve Rivera kicked off this series, a lot of us could get stuck in our faith, right? And some of you might be there right now where you're just stuck, where you've been cruising along, you've been growing, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're in this slump. And you're going, God, what's going on here? You know, I'm not growing. It seems like I'm going backwards, right? And, and the whole sermon series here is about how to be unstuck. And a lot of times the reason we get stuck are ways where we don't think that these are areas of ways that would get us stuck. And I think James does a good job at that. And that's what we're going to look at um, today. Okay, last week we talked about sometimes we could get stuck in our faith because we show favoritism to other people, right? And that, in God's kingdom, you know, there could never ever be favoritism shown towards individuals because of their race, their ethnicity, their economic status. You know, favoritism is incompatible with our faith. And today we're also going to talk about, you know, faith in works. But before we start, you know, there was these behavioral scientists who conducted an an experiment where people watched moving dots on the screen. Now the dots would either move to the person's right or the dots would move to the left. Now when they were moving, obviously it wasn't that obvious. Where they went like, vroom! Room. They moved very slowly, and the person who was watching the dots had to signify which direction the dots were moving. So if the dots were slowly moving from right to left, they had to signal that, okay, I'm looking at these dots, and I think they're moving from right to left. But what they did it was they signaled this by using a joystick. And so if they saw the dots were moving from left to right, they would get the joystick and they would turn it, to the right, signaling the dots were moving from left to right, and vice versa. And so what they did is they changed the experiment. While they were doing this experiment, they changed it, and they made the joystick more resistant to the way the dots were actually flowing. So let's just say again, the dots are flowing from left to right. The person would take the joystick and they would move it to the right. But this time, it was a lot harder to move the joystick to the right. Easy to move it to the, in the wrong direction to the left, but harder to move it to the right. And what they noticed that over time, subconsciously, that the people are watching these dots move from left to right, but because it was harder to move that joystick from to the right, the people started moving it to the left indicating that they thought the dots were actually going in the opposite direction. And they actually thought the dots were moving in the opposite direction. And it was only because they made it difficult for you to signify the right direction of the dots. And this one behavior scientist explained it by this. If you go to the next slide, you'll see an apple tree. Now, I don't know how many of you picked apples, but when I was a kid, that's one thing we would do. We'd go to Apple Valley, and we would, you know, pick apples. You know, I took our son there, and they had the best apple pies that you could buy there. But one of the things that behavioral scientists um, um, learned is that our brain tricks us. So when you look at an apple tree like this, you see a lot of different apples, but... When you go apple picking, 
What do you want to do? You want to pick the reddest. You wanted to pick the ripest. You want to pick the best looking apple. And the one that you think is what? The best tasting. And so what behavioral scientists have theorized that people in our mind, our mind is tricked to think that the best fruit, the ripest fruit, the best tasting fruit is all low-hanging fruit. Fruit that we could actually get, you see the ones at the bottom, that we could just go up and pick. And our brain tells us that the ones that are harder to get, like the ones at the top where you're going to need a ladder, they're not as ripe. They're not as good. They probably have a worm in it, and they're probably sour, right? And the whole purpose of this is to show that humans are wired to take the path of of least resistance. We know water takes the path of least resistance. We know electricity takes the path of least resistance. But they also proved that humans take the path of least resistance. And they're saying, you know, if you ever want to die or you want to do something, put it someplace that's hard to get to, and that'll help you. And for those of you who know me, my kryptonite is dark chocolate-covered almonds, right? And if you're diabetic, that's not good. But that's my kryptonite. So what I did is I said, okay. I took, we have a bag of it. And so I said, okay, I'll put it on this shelf that I had to get a stool that I had to get on, and I put it up there on Monday. Guess what? Haven't touched it all week. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it because I forgot it was up there, you know. But it's like, man, I got to get this stool. I got to get up there. I've got a bad knee. It's going to hurt. There's got to be some other things around. The house. So I look at stuff on the couch. Oh, there's some Cheez-Its. I'll take some Cheez-Its, you know. And you, you look for other things that are what? Easier to get to, right? Why? Because we are wired to take the path of least resistance. But this becomes problematic as we live out our faith because we are wired to take the path of least resistance. However, when it comes to our faith, if we take the path of least resistance, we will never grow. Our faith will be stunted. We will be stuck where we are. And, you know, we know in Scripture that you don't stay in the same place. We are either moving towards Jesus or we are moving away from Jesus. There is no straddling. And so that's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn today in order to get unstuck, in order to go against the path of least resistance, our faith and our works need to be coupled together. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to James chapter 2, 14, and I'll be reading from the NIV. And this is what James says. Is what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, if you take a look at um, or listen, or if you know about Martin Luther, who is the founder of Protestantism, he hated the book of James. He said it was a straw uh, book, and he actually wanted the book of James ripped out of the Bible, you know, because he said it had no place there. That's how much Martin Luther hated it. But the reason he hated it, because we see this connection 
between faith and works. And he had just come from the Catholic Church, where it's very corrupt at the time, and Catholicism where, um, preaches that salvation is based on work, and we keep, maintain our salvation based on works, right? And so he was totally against works. And when he read this, he said, wait a second. Wait a second. This is incompatible with Scripture. This is, so he saw the Apostle Paul and James conflicting with one another. And Martin Luther knows that the Bible can't conflict, is not conflicted. And so what did he do? So we got to take the book of James and we just got to get rid of it, right? But what he's saying here is it's not, Paul and James are not contradicting one another. So if you read, uh, go to Ephesians 2, 9, 2, 8, it says, for it is, this is the Apostle Paul now, for it is by grace you have saved, been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. So salvation is not something that is earned through works, it's given to you by grace. You didn't deserve it, but God's going to give it to you anyway. It is a gift that God has given you, not because you earned it, just out of God's grace. And, and he goes on in verse 9, it says, not by works, so that no one could boast. So the Apostle Paul here is saying salvation is based on faith and not by works. So then what is James talking about here? But before we go on, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. Your salvation is secured by faith and faith alone. Getting ourselves into heaven becoming a child of God, being adopted into his family, getting all of our sins, past, present, and future, forgiven for all times because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that is done by faith and faith alone. So you all understand that? That salvation is through faith and faith alone. But Paul also continues and says for, in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us. Right? So first of all, he says, For it is grace that we were saved. Past tense. Past tense. So we are saved through grace. But now present tense, what? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, present tense. Saved by faith, but we were created to do good works in um, the present tense. So good works are not a means to salvation, but a result of your salvation. Do you understand that? And this is important to understand, that good works are not a means of salvation, but they're a result of your salvation. You see, Paul and James were addressing two types of people. Paul was addressing those who were unsaved. And he's saying salvation is, comes through faith in faith alone, not by works. There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation. So that's who Paul was addressing. However, James now is addressing the believers because he calls them brothers and sisters. So these were believers. They had already been saved through faith. But he's also saying in order for you to grow you in your faith, you need both faith and works. You got that? We are saved through faith, but as believers, as we grow, we need to have faith and works. 
So there is no disparity between Paul and James. They are saying the same thing. And verse 14 continues. It said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? You know, if you have faith, if you believe the right stuff, what James is saying, can that faith save them? Not salvation, but can that faith save them from spiritual decay? If all you have is faith, but it's not backed up by works, can that faith save you from spiritual decay? And I think we all know the answer to that because we've studied this, but back then they didn't quite get it. And so now he brings in an example. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And so basically when he says brothers and sisters, he's always referring to believers. So he says, suppose a believing brother or a believing sister is without clothes or, or daily food. Okay, that, you know, they only have a certain amount of clothing. And when it gets cold, they don't have enough clothing to keep themselves warm or they don't have enough food to uh, satisfy their daily nutritional requirements. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about the physical needs, what good is it? What he's saying is, you know, let's say somebody comes to your life group, right? And they tell you, you know what? I've just been laid off on my job. You know, I had to sell a lot of my clothes. I really don't have a lot of clothes, and, you know, we don't have a lot to eat. And you say, well, you know what? Let's do a Bible study. And so you go, let's let's go over the feeding of the 5,000. Wow, Jesus fed, well, we think it's about 10,000 people, women and children, with just a few fish and a few loaves. What do you think he could do for you? Oh, we know, oh, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says here that God takes care of your needs and will provide for you. He said, take a look at the birds in the air. He takes care of them. He'll take care of you. And so let's all get together and pray that our brother or sister's needs could be met. And we say, oh, Lord, and we just, you know, pray to God that he takes care of their, um, their physical needs. And after we say amen, we say, we'll see you later. Go in peace. Keep warm and be well-fed. Well, you know, that was a standard farewell at that time. But behind that farewell, it meant that you were placing the responsibility on that person to take care of their needs. So it would be like we were telling that brother or sister, you know what? Take care. Keep warm. Be fed. You'll think of something. You'll do it. I know you could do it. God is with you. And what James is saying is that that's all we do. That's worthless. That's worthless. And James is making a point by saying in 17, in the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, you know, faith that is dead doesn't have the ability to do anything. And this is why we get stuck. If we're just all about studying the Bible, which is very important, but James said earlier, if we are just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, what? Our faith is dead. And that faith is impossible 
to help you grow in your faith and mature in Christ. And this is why we get stuck. And this is where we take the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is to study the Bible about God's provision in our lives. The path of least resistance is just to pray for that individual, which are good things, and wish them well and tell them, you know, God will take care of you. We'll see you next week. That's the path of least resistance when we just use faith and not works. But now, now this is a really complex verse here where some people say, well, who's he referring to? Is James referring to somebody that's actually arguing with him about this and trying to make a point? Or is, you know, part of this that person and is the other part James? Or even some um, theologians believe that James was talking about himself in the third person. But, you know, that gets way too complicated. Not going to talk about it. But I'm just trying to convey the gist of what we're trying to say here. I just wanted to let you know that I did do my study, and so I knew that. Um, But he said, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Basically what James is trying to say here that faith and works are not mutually exclusive of one another, right? Let me ask you this. How many of you, by show of raise of hands, how many of you have heard the term orthodoxy or orthodox? You don't have to understand what it means. You may not even know what it means, but how many of you heard the word orthodox or orthodoxy? Show by the raise of hands. Okay, the majority of you have. How many of you have heard the word orthopraxy? Okay, a lot less of you have heard the word orthopraxy, right? Well, orthodox just means right belief, having the right belief. Orthopraxy, however, is having the right actions and right behavior. And the reason you haven't heard about orthopraxy is because the church does what? We concentrate on orthodoxy, which is the right, be- uh, right beliefs. having the right knowledge, which I said was very important because when we said we want to create a culture of discipleship, having the right knowledge is important because if you don't have the right knowledge, your foundation is going to be all askew. And when you start building on it, your building is going to be all askew. And when you, what, try to disciple others, their building's foundation is going to be all askew too. So orthodoxy is important. But the reason we don't, you've never heard the word orthopraxy is the church, we really don't concentrate on that. We concentrate on the head knowledge, but we don't concentrate on the right action. And what James is saying, you have to have both. You have to have orthodoxy and orthopraxy. They go like this. But some of us are stuck because we go orthodoxy here, orthopraxy here. They have to be together. And he goes on to say the absurd here as a way of just taking it to the extreme. James says in verse 19, well, you believe that there is one God. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
So he's telling them that you believe in God as one. And where did he hear that? Well, we get that from the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy 6.4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And so what he's saying is that even the demons believe that God is one. Did you know the demons believe that God is omnipotent? The demons believe that God is omnipresent, all, you know, everywhere at the same time. They believe that God is omniscient, all-knowing. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died for the sins of the world. Did you know that demons have their theology? They know their theology and doctrine better than we do as humans, but their belief does not lead to salvation. You understand that? They have all of the right knowledge about God, but it doesn't lead to salvation. They know the truth about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, but they hate that truth, and it doesn't save them. And this is what James is saying. You think that all you need is knowledge to save you. Well, guess what? The demons believe in that. The demons have the right orthodoxy. But guess what? They're not saved. They're not saved. Why? And then he goes on to say, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He calls him a fool. And he says, Faith without works is useless. If we keep them um, exclusive one an- with one another, that faith is useless. How many of you have bought something from like as seen on TV, or you're watching TV late night and go, ooh, that looks like a great device, right? And then you finally get it, and then the thing doesn't work, and it becomes useless. We, I think we've all done that, right? Right? Well, I want you to think of that, whatever you bought that's worthless right now. Or think of maybe things you have home at home that are worthless. You all got that in your mind? You all know what this object is? Well, James is saying that your faith without works is as useless as that object that you just thought of. That, that your faith is useless to help you grow unless you have faith coupled by works. Having a faith without works is useless to help you grow in your faith. And maybe that's why some of us are stuck because we keep them mutually exclusive. But now he also gives an example here. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So for some of you who may not know the story, I'm just going to paraphrase it here. Okay, so God asked Abraham, who was the father of the um, Israelite, a father of the Israelites, to do something that was um, unimaginable. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know, Isaac was his only son. Isaac was the one that the promise was to be fulfilled through Isaac's lineage. But could you imagine hearing that from God? Your only son, if God said, Dave, I want you to sacrifice Michael. 
You know, I said, God, I definitely heard you wrong. <laughs> there is just no way that's going to happen, right? But that's what Abraham did, and he believed him, God, and he obeyed him. And so, but we knew Abraham believed him because, right, just as he was going up to the mountain to uh, sacrifice Isaac, what did he tell to his servants? He said, wait here, wait here. We are going up to worship God, and then we will return. Even though God told him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham trusted in God's promise. But could you imagine Isaac, right? He and his dad are walking up to the sacrifice site, and Isaac, being the guy who's very observant, said, hey, Dad, I see the wood here. Where's the lamb? We have nothing to sacrifice. What's going on here? (laughs) And what does Abraham say? You know, God will provide. God will provide. He didn't, good thing he didn't say, well, guess what? It's you. <laughs> you know, I am bringing the sacrifice. It's you. He didn't tell him that. He told him that God will provide. And, and so he tied up Isaac and he put it all out his life. And as he's ready to plunge the knife into his son's heart, you know, God came out and said, Abraham, Stop! Do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And what did God do? God provided a sacrifice. There was a ram that was just stuck in the weeds there. And they used that. This was a test to see if Abraham trusted God. This was a test to see if Abraham's faith and his works were not mutually exclusive, but they were like this. And Abraham passed the test. And this is what James says in verse 22. And you see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Right? Or his faith was matured by marrying faith and works. And he says, as scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now see, Abraham wasn't saved because he sacrificed Isaac because, you know, when it says that scripture was fulfilled and it says Abraham believed God, that was in Genesis 15. Abraham was saved in Genesis 15. However, his faith was made complete in Genesis 22 when he said he was going to actually sacrifice, when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. So you get that? He wasn't saved because he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. He was saved in chapter 15. However, his faith was made complete because God knew that he put his works and his faith together. Right action, right belief, and right actions. And James says in verse 24, and you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Your faith is made complete. You grow in your faith, not on faith alone, not by having the right doctrine, but having the right works. It's hearing the word of God and doing the work of God. You know, in verse 
um, 25. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she had did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. One, you talk about a righteous man, the father of the Israelites. Now where he's referring to somebody who was a prostitute. Abraham people looked up to, Rahab the people looked down to, right? But for those of you who don't know this story, is that, you know, the Israelites, nations under Joshua, they were going to occupy the promised land. And they came up to Jericho. You know, that's the city with the walls, and then the walls of Jericho fell, right? But in, in, the, in the city was a prostitute named Rahab. But Joshua sent two spies out to spy the land, to get a lay of Jericho. If they were caught, of course, they would have been killed. So what happens? Rahab, she hides them. She hides them. And she tells them that, you know what? We know that your God is the one true God. We heard stories of you guys crossing the Red Sea over dry land, which is crazy. We heard how you destroyed all of the powerful enemies around this area. We know, and I know that your God is the one and true God. And so she believed in God. But what did they say? Because you hit us. And she said, you know, when you come and attack this city, you are going to overthrow it. There's no doubt. But would you spare me and my family? So this is what the spies said. They said, okay, when we come and attack, we want you to gather up all of your family and bring them into your room, right? And then hang a scarlet rope from that window. And if, once we see that, we know that that'll be your house and we will not ransack that house. However, if there's no scarlet rope there, we won't know it's you and your family will be killed. If any of your family go walking on the street, well, we don't know that they're your relatives. They will be killed, Right? And so what did she do? She put out that scarlet rope, and they were saved. Once again, she believed, because she knew all these stories about God, therefore she hid their spies, right? And this is another example of faith with works. And this is why most of us get stuck, as we put those things together. You know, I was talking with a, a board member um, yesterday, and I was saying, you know, I am so envious of you guys because every day you get to go to your jobs, you get to go to work, and then you get to show the love of Jesus at work. You have the ability to change the culture. You have the ability to change the environment of your work for Jesus because every day you go to work, you bring Jesus to your workplace. And I said, man, I envy you. It's not that I don't like being a pastor, but I used to love doing that when I was in the workforce. And I know that you've heard this story before, and some of you are new, so I get to retell these stories, right? Um, because it's been a long time since I've been in the workforce. But you know that I was a, uh, a supervisor for Continental Airlines at LAX. And basically, I either supervised the ticket counter, gate, or baggage claim. But, you know, I rose to supervisor pretty quickly, right? So I had zero seniority. So I would, you would bid 
where you wanted. And the person who had the highest seniority always got the best jobs, and I was like the last on the totem pole. And so guess where people don't want to work? Baggage claim. Why? Because everyone you see, they're ticked off. They're mad because either we lost their luggage or we destroyed their luggage. One of two things. And then after a long flight, they are not very happy campers. And so no one wanted to work there. So me being the lowest one, lowest seniority, I always had to work baggage service. But guess who I had to work with? I had to work with all the new employees because none of the senior employees wanted to work down there. So I got all of the inexperienced employees that just made a bad situation even worse. You know, when a passenger would get mad at them, they would go start yelling back. There'd be a huge fight. Then I have to go in and start calming everybody down. I had to de-escalate the situation, right? But one of the things I realized is, okay, I can make a difference here. I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the living God living inside me. Should that make a difference? So I went down there and I started managing with Christ-like values. I treated them as what the God will love your neighbor as yourself. I said, down here, your health comes first. Your family comes second, and work comes third. If you have a problem with your family or your health, take off work, and I'll find a way to cover you, even if that meant me going back out on the line and doing the work. And I did that. You know, we had potlucks. We were building community there. And then we had a lot of bad supervisors there. And you know what? Word got out. And when I left, only the senior agents worked in baggage service. Not because of the job, but what? Because someone brought Jesus into that environment, and that whole environment changed. And that's what you could do. This is why you take your faith and your work. I don't care if you work in a Fortune 500 company, a medium-sized company, maybe a small mom-and-pop company, or your own business. Faith and good works. You can make a difference. I've seen it. It happened, right? And this is why I get envious of you, because every day you guys get to go out and do that. And sometimes I miss that. I miss making a difference when I take my faith and I married my works, married with works, and it makes a difference in that environment. You know, granted, I wasn't a saint, so I don't think I was a saint supervisor. I remember a passenger who came and just cussed me out and just yelled at me because we lost his bag. His bag came in. I said, okay. I took the bag and I checked it. There's some godforsaken place in Asia, you know, so I had to go there by three different airports, three different airports and three different airlines. You know, I was just so disappointed when within a week I got a message on my computer. Hey, we found your bag that you're looking for. We're sending it back. You'll have it tomorrow. You know, so I wasn't always a saint. Okay, so I don't want you to think that. However, however, God used somebody who would do something like that to what? Bring his presence into this place. What I'm trying to say is you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. 
But what you have to do is you have to have the right doctrine married with works. Without it, it's useless. And he ends this by saying, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What a way to end this, right? You might know everything about the Bible. You might belong to, you been, might have been studying the Bible for a long time, going to all these organizations where you study the Bible. And that's a good thing. But without works, that faith is dead. Your faith is dead. Has no power whatsoever to do anything in your life because it's dead. As you go forward this week, I challenge you. Oh, what's the weekly challenge? I was going to do that without the weekly challenge, but I have it. Um, I'd like you to read James 2, 14 through 26 daily. Once again, don't just read it and check it off, right? Try to understand what James is saying and be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Evaluate your faith. Where is, are you taking the path of least resistance in any parts of your faith right now? Are you taking the easy way out? Are you just taking the academic way out, devoid of any works? And then look for opportunities to do good works at home, work, or the places that you socialize. Don't just know the Bible. Couple them with works that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Worship tape, would you please come forward? And would you please join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, I admit to you that there are many times in my faith where I took the path of least resistance. And a lot of times pastors are the worst, uh, worst offenders of all of this because it is our goal and our job to study your word. We take apart your word, we study your word, but Father, we forget that we are to be doers of the word. Father, that having a faith that is just based upon knowledge is worthless and dead and can't do anything to save us. So, Father, I apologize in those times when I've done that. And I just thank you so much that James reminded me personally this week that I can't just concentrate on the academic part, but on the works part. For when we take the academic part only, we are taking the path of least resistance. For those of you who are stuck in your faith, maybe you're saying to yourself, my faith doesn't work for me. And usually it's a matter of, you know, unconfessed sin. And maybe in your case, it's a matter of you're just taking the path of least resistance. That you sense God is calling you to something greater. That God is calling you to something more difficult. Yet you want to stay with that which is easy. Spend a few moments right now and just evaluate where you are in your faith in terms of taking the path of least resistance.
Father, I thank you that you've given us your scriptures, which enables us to have the right knowledge. But Father, you've also given us your Holy Spirit inside of each one of us to empower us to do good works, to take what we know and apply it on a daily basis. And Father, I just, I'm just thankful for the people here and envious of them in some ways that they get to go out tomorrow in the workplace, wherever it may be. Or maybe they're at home, or maybe they're at Atherton, or maybe that they have their own business, or wherever, Father, that they get to go and bring your son Jesus into that atmosphere. Father, I pray that each one of us will look for opportunities to do good works that are empowered by your Holy Spirit. Father, that we can make a difference in the lives of people, knowing that a dead faith makes no difference at all, no difference at all whether it's in our own personal faith or in the places where we frequent. Father, may our faith be alive by the power of your Holy Spirit through our good works. May our works be evident that your Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Thank you for that opportunity to serve you. Thank you for that opportunity, Father, to change this world, to bring a portion of heaven down to this earth. In your son's name we pray. Amen.